Where is InsureTech headed next? This is where indie agents own the answer. Welcome to the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Let's go. Welcome back to another episode of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast. Today of all days, I am very excited to introduce you to Zach Sutherland, the Vice President of Sutherland Insurance. Zach, how are you? I'm doing wonderful, Sid. Thanks for having me on. Very excited. Oh my gosh. We are really excited too. For those of you guys listening, Zach is, well, first of all, he's from Canada. So, you know, cut him some slack, cut him a break. Um, Second of all, he is the man when it comes to all things data. I got the uh, honor to actually host a webinar where he was our guest. And um, during this webinar, it was actually just for our Canadian audience. Uh, Sorry, America. And after I saw what he had built for his agency from an analytics perspective, I think I emailed you within like an hour and said, can we do a podcast for <laughs> for the rest of Vertifor so that other people can hear um, what you're doing? So uh, so you guys are in for a real treat today. Um, if, if you have any questions, if there are any doubts about how to weaponize data, um, you know, what gold is sitting in your backyard and, and really how to use it on a daily basis, what to make of it, um, you're in the right place. So um, stay tuned and buckle up. So Zach, let's, uh, let's start at the, the beginning here before we get into the data and analytics stuff. Because uh, what I'm worried about is people hear all that and think, whoa, he must have just come out of the womb with Excel spreadsheets in hand, like there's no way I'm going to compete with the guy. This guy, um, take me back to the beginning because you weren't as well versed in analytics as you are today, right? Oh, a hundred percent. And in true Canadian fashion, I'll start with apologizing. Yeah, <laughs> say sorry. Okay. Uh, you'll hear that a lot today. A few A's in there, but uh, no, you're you're absolutely right. I uh, I went four years at, at university. Uh, finance to finance background that's where i came from and i walked into our our wonderful fifth generation family business um and we were coming from a place i remember my first um meeting with my dad where we were discussing bonuses and i showed up with you know pulled a, pulled some reports from the bms and, and and showed up with a little bit of work done a couple pivot tables and ready to go and we sat down and, and his comment back was you know when i presented like i think this is what we should do where's your spreadsheet? He goes, what do you mean? We made more money than we did last year. So I want to pay them a little bit more. I was like, okay, that's where my journey really began (laughs) is we need to take our wonderful 154 year old business and move it into the next generation in terms of making some informed decisions. So that that's where I started. And really from the, you know, production reports on the BMS and just taking it and really grabbing as much as possible um, out of it and making it as useful as possible. Mm-hmm. I think you, you nailed a, a really good point that I want to touch on as well about, you know, that I appreciate the wonderful compliments in terms of data, but I, I, there are people who are far better than me at it. And, uh, that's kind of the nice part though. And, and what I mean by that is what we've done is something that can be done with a spreadsheet. 
when most people think data, they think about, you know, you hear all these terms, data lakes, and, you know, how do I get all my data in one spot and do all this computing power? And then you go, okay, 50 grand a month, sounds good, don't have that. Um, and it starts to become a little intimidating. What we've done, and out of necessity, is really built something, take a spreadsheet, hit a few buttons, and all of a sudden you're getting just a lot more than you were before. Okay. So it's it's a different approach and more for the small to medium enterprise where it fits, where we can't necessarily, you know, have our phone data and our email data and all of these things placed into a data lake synthesized and then, you know, pushed out for analytics and asking questions and all that. Because we've all, learned, certainly I've gone down that journey of exploring it. And by the time I looked at the bill, I, I realized that I absolutely <laughs> either need to figure this out on my own. Or, uh, or I'm going to be in big trouble. And unfortunately, I spent the next, you know, this was about eight years ago that first conversation happened. So I've spent the last eight years kind of on that journey of finding my way there. Okay, so really quick, BMS stands for broker, uh, broker man. Yes. I know we have to clarify Sorry, with Canadian. the lingo. So Canadian, <laughs> AMS, exact same thing. We call ourselves brokers up this way, but agency management system. A agency 100%. management system A. Okay, got it, got it, yeah. All right, so just so everybody knows, when he says BMS, he means AMS, they're one in the same. Uh, so I will do my best to stay on so, that. So you're, <laughs> <laughs> Listen, we, we have to understand how Canada works too, okay? It goes both ways, it goes both Perfect. ways. Perfect. So, okay, so I love the, the picture you just painted there. Um, what I heard was you don't need to build a data lake to have operational transparency and, and really make data something valuable to your agency is that fair uh, yes i tend to agree from from a from a basic level okay. and I, I think that's where you know we we going through it our you know our process and i think this is really the best place to start we would at the time even you know up until recently it was pull a report run a pivot table build 14 pivot tables take mm -hmm. a full day and then spit out information that's 30 days old. Mm -hmm. That's where we were at. And it was because of the rigorous part of the process, and again, a smaller business, we had time to do that once a month, maybe. And what we've changed it to is pulling data from multiple sources, phone system, email, BMS, into one spot, and being able to refresh that data multiple times a week. Mm -hmm. So that exponential jump in information, just in terms of timing, mm -hmm massive for mm -hmm. us and we were absolutely doing that just by pulling still the same reports mm -hmm. so we're still running the same process we're not creating it and putting it into a database somewhere that you know does all the synthesization there's a lot of you know we use power bi that's our main uh, visualization tool mm -hmm. and it has query systems that allow, allow us to manipulate that data within it so we don't have to place it in a separate database to do all the manipulation because we're not pushing a ton of data through it relative to the size it's capable of. Okay. Uh, and that's, that's really the advantage that takes you away from having to set up a ton of backend infrastructure, which is a great thing. And in terms of size and scale from a computing power standpoint, you need it in a lot of situations, but at our relative size with what we move and the questions we're asking, we don't need it. Mm -hmm. So we don't go to the expense. We just take the information and systems we have, save ourselves a ton of time relative to the measure of what we were doing. We don't have perfect real-time solutions, but from 30 days to daily is to that point, just an exponential jump. Yeah. Okay. So, so break down 
the the technology that you're joining together from an analytics standpoint because you said you mentioned email bms i know there's a couple other things so just what and and i'm curious is all of the technology being moved into the analytics tool so is, is all the data from all your from your entire tech stack moved or are you saying ah you know what these three systems are the most important or these four systems are the most important like how does it, that work started very modular. At okay. first, it was just learning the BMS data, production reports specifically, and our, sorry, AMS data. Uh, okay. pr yes. Production reports specifically <laughs> in terms of the sales side is what we really focused on so we could get a real good understanding of all our sales-driven information post-sale. Okay. Okay. And then we realized we were missing pre-sale, and that was an investment into Salesforce and a front-end CRM, which all that data is now in there as well, mm -hmm. painting the full sales cycle picture. Mm -hmm. uh, phone mm -hmm. system was critical to our service metrics as well as the activity report. So those kind of four main pillars drive a lot of what we've created today. Um, and then email data, Office 365, just very simple, just in terms of tracking, you know, volume and overall to paint a full picture of my service metrics in terms of my individuals, uh, my individual service teams. Yeah. Okay. So you said something really interesting just, just there. You said, uh, you know, we pieced it together modularly. We started with the BMS and kind of added one thing at a time. And you used the phrase, we had to learn the data from the BMS. So I know there's a couple different, you know, as I've been, you know, you, you are much more, I would say, um, well-versed on the back end of, of that BMS than I am. Um, but there's a couple things that I, I've come across as I've learned more about insurance analytics. Uh, it's a couple challenges. You know, one is uh, really understanding the names of certain fields, right? So what, what, when I'm, you know, when I say something like, well, I want to know the total revenue for um, uh, my commercial lines book of business. Okay, well, what fields are we talking about that hold that information? And then there's also data cleanliness. Um, have you, when you say I had to learn the data, is that what you're talking about? And are there other things missing to complete the picture? Yeah, I, that's, yeah, incredibly astute. And I also got you calling it a BMS. So uh, yeah. fantastic. fantastic. <laughs> I'm going to so, start saying uh, A by the end of this, this podcast. <laughs> I love that. Um, yeah, so you, you absolutely hit the nail on the head. Uh, our, a big part of our process is we're pulling our data from the AMS, initially from the production report. Mm. Um, production report, I trusted a lot because we have a great internal system for invoicing. So I knew we had our checks and balances and invoicing. The only thing that hits that production report is invoice data. Mm -hmm. Now, in saying that, that invoicing data is limited in how it can present, you know, potentially PIF count scenarios, potentially SO policy enforced, potentially customer count scenarios, mm -hmm. because it's not taking a pure snapshot from something. So we had to go then go create calculations and do a lot of A-B testing around, okay, this is what we, we know it should produce. Is it? And if it's not, why? And is there a way for us to manipulate those certain transaction types that are causing us friction to go from there? And I think just to kind of circle back to the start of it all, my biggest thing when I first pulled, you know, production versus a book of business report, and I don't know if it'd be called something different um, in terms of the AMS side on your end of the world, but basically our production is our invoice data and our book of business was a snapshot of the internal lines of business. Mm 
mm-hmm. on the AMS itself. Mm-hmm. They didn't match the first time I pulled it, and that's where I lost all faith. Oh my goodness. So that's where I went to my back end of the world. And this was a, you know, running a brokerage on top of all of this has ended up being about a two-year project yeah. of just checking kind of line by line of based on transaction type and getting myself to a place where I trusted it. Mm-hmm. So it was, you know, being given I had incredible time constraints around it probably something that could have been done in a couple of weeks if I just sat down and did it. Mm. And the value that I, you know, knowing now what we're able to produce and give back to the staff and the decisions we are making, I wish I would have done nothing for those two weeks and just got there. <laughs> but in the moment, you're dealing with what you have to deal with running a small business. Mm-hmm. And, and that was that was a big part of our journey. And it's it's easy to get the answers if you take the time to do it and bring in somebody who has that you know, finance background, the idea of things need to work, things need to make sense numerically. But uh, one thing I struggled with, and I heard a wonderful quote around this, at at a recent conference I did go to, but it was the idea of, especially in the data world, but don't chase perfection at the expense of good enough. Mm. And just the idea of you can spend countless hours trying to get it absolutely right, but if you're 99.5 in Mm. a minute, Mm -hmm. take it. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Absolutely. Because there's going to be more problems and you're probably answering the questions already mm-hmm. and that small one or two difference that you get if you made it absolutely perfect won't actually increase your question and answer period which is really what you want to get to anyway yeah. can i make a business decision from this information mm-hmm. okay i want to circle back to how you figured out to how to build these calculations so that you could get to that that more accurate picture but really quick i do want to emphasize how true what you just said is. Um, so previous to coming to Vertifor, I was at a, an insurtech startup and we hired a data scientist. And I'll never forget, she said, it, because I thought 100% accuracy is, is the goal, right? I mean, why would you strive for anything less? And in the data world, really between 90 to 100% is what's considered perfect. So. I agreed that you'll never get to buy the cents, you know, or buy the dollar, uh, you know, a perfect picture, which I know can be frustrating when you're talking about the financial side of things because you do want an accurate number. But again, we're looking for trends and more strategic generalizations as opposed to what does my bank account say, right? There's a bank account for that uh, as opposed to okay, I need to understand the valleys and, and dips and you know mountains and peaks that we're gonna face uh, and then how to pivot the company as opposed to, you know, again, how much money's in the bank account. So I really appreciate you saying that. Oh, 100%, it's, it's the macro trends, yes. right? There, there's micro information and you have to dig and, and, and what we, I've built out now in between myself and, and Ivana who works with me and we now have on staff and we have opened a side business in the data consulting space, the two of us. Um, but uh, so she does, you know, she's a Power BI certified uh, vendor. So she has all her licensing. She does this full time now in terms of the Power BI side. But even going in and speaking to agencies across Canada, when we sit down, the key is you hit it on earlier is actually the language. What does 
revenue mean? What does retention mean? If you ask 10 brokers in Canada or 10 agents in the US, you're going to get 10 different answers. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And how do you then go back to a data set, convert that into something that's useful to them? Mm -hmm. and they trust mm -hmm. and that trust is the hardest part of getting that you know getting over the hump of what we just talked about this won't be a hundred percent but if you track it just this way it's 99.9 .9 and you can make some excellent decisions absolutely okay so walk me back to getting getting that trust rebuilding that trust right because you said you pulled these two reports and said wow i i walked down this path and i don't know if we're going to find the finish line um, these are too different, right? They're too, they're too drastic. They don't, it doesn't make sense. How, I mean, and, and again, those listening, uh, I will give away the, you know, secret sauce here. Zach does help agencies with a lot of this work. So there is help out there. Um, but for those who want to do it themselves, how, how did you figure that out? How did you look at, I mean, how did you know, well, the, the one on the right looks more accurate than the one on the left, right? I mean, how do you piece Two, this together? Yeah, completely. It was firstly, it was it was a lot of help from the team at Vertifor and understanding what the reports were actually saying. Mm. That was the biggest thing, and that's you know you can read the manuals or how they say this goes, and so be it. I got on the phone and spent hours mm. asking very pointed, specific questions. Why is that showing up as ten dollars? I need to understand that incredibly specifically in this very specific situation and then that kind of created its own little funnel of understanding okay well if it does this in this situation there's some logic into the next hundred problems i've already lined up mm -hmm. as i kind of as i went through it so from the start i just took the information and started playing i ran the report a few different ways to see how the variables would change see how that manipulated the final totals but to your point of what we talked about earlier really always looking at it at a macro level what are the problems I can identify from a very big, if I run the report this way and I get a $50 million book and I run it this way and it's 50 and a half, why is that happening? Mm -hmm. What is causing that difference? So I was analyzing these side by side and that generated my list of questions. Mm -hmm. I then took those questions to the source, to the people who know it better than anybody and go, why is this doing this here? Mm -hmm. That then started making the number and that spread get smaller and smaller to the point where it was relatively negligible. Mm. Now, again, why did I decide on production report versus book of business in our case? Because mm -hmm. production report was invoiced. And again, I knew my internal controls on invoicing were strong and that, yes, humans can screw up. Of course they can. There's going to be invoicing errors we've been able to with what we've created help even identify invoicing errors when they occur by a little bit of predictive oh, awesome. this seems like it shouldn't be here what's wrong flag mm -hmm. and that's something we've been able to do with the way we've taken that out and again even that's wrong too but at least it gives an even third set of eyes because we already have the second set internally as part of our process but here's the third this feels wrong flag mm -hmm. uh, and that's been kind of an offshoot of that. So that helped really solidify the trust of the source data. And from there, it's how do I manipulate that source data to give me the results I want in terms of those questions. Interesting. So you've kind of um, hedged your, that's uh, not even a bet, because we know that people are going to enter the data wrong. We know our users are going to 
mm-hmm. you know, yep. put an extra zero in there, forget a decimal point or, you know, forget something. Um, but you're saying uh, I'm accounting for that by reporting off of this invoiced uh, premium essentially or revenue. So now I know that I can trust that number a little bit more as opposed to maybe just looking at the Salesforce number or just looking at, right? Because we know, yeah, and salespeople are tough. It's tough to get them tender. <laughs> so, I've never overinflated my sales numbers. Oh, yeah. no. Yeah, never, never. It's So in our process, just to get into the specifics there. So when we, from a personalized policy perspective, we have our overnight batch download, which is CZO up here. So basically the information comes in from the company on an overnight batch download and gets inputted into our system. And we have automatic invoicing for that. Mm-hmm. So it automatically invoices the piece. Mm-hmm. We have internally someone who verifies very quickly that the dollars match our initial. So there's step one of the validation process. Then when we send out the policy to the client, if there's that, there's also another double check of another comp person looking at it again to make sure we have our notes that say when the new business was sent to the company, this is what the premium was, this is why, here's the signed app attached with that dollar value. So we almost have four or five checks to say if it says a thousand on the app, it better say a thousand at the end. And if we miss that five times, well, you know what? I'm willing to. I'm willing to eat that. Mm-hmm. I, I truly believe we've caught. And again, I'll go to 99.9 on that, where it works out. And then, if the odd situation does occur where something goes through that just doesn't make sense, our system does have a few flags on the on the mm-hmm. back end when we're looking at our numbers to say, hey, this person usually sells 25 grand. They sold 100 this month. Mm-hmm. Thrilled. Mm-hmm. Maybe take a look. Mm-hmm. Interesting. Okay, so looking at, we, we've talked about one one or two specific KPIs and, and how we're getting to a number that we trust. I, I know it's a lot to cover on a, um, on a podcast, so I hope at some point we can actually do another webinar, but I gotta, I'm, you know, gotta make sure and I don't ask too many things at once here from you. Um, but I would love to have you for another webinar um, for the American audience so that they can really see how this thing comes to life and see, I mean, it's truly something amazing when you pulled those it's one thing to hear about it and then you see these real-time dashboards come up where you're looking at sales numbers you're looking at uh premium and revenue by carrier over different periods of time over different lines of business and you're flying through these dashboards quickly adjusting the numbers to kind of analyze what's happening it was something to i've never seen before i mean it was just something amazing um what when when you're going into those dashboards i think you know there's some standard kpis that people look at um you know they'll want to look at uh retention although there's you know well do you mean policy retention customer retention um but they're looking at some sort of retention number uh they're looking at their total book of business um you know what what are some of the kpis that matter to you when you've got the world at your fingertips? What are the ones that keep bubbling up to the surface that you keep using to drive your business forward? Yeah, um, great question. There is your standards. I always wanna know, I have, I think this goes to kind of how I started this journey as well at the beginning when I realized what could happen and what I could do. I asked a thousand questions and just started building. And that was absolutely the wrong way to go about it because I ended up with 50 dashboards that I rarely looked at. 
because they weren't really answering anything. I was just building stuff because it felt cool. Mm -hmm. And where we've evolved from that, we're down to about 20. Um, they're and they're ever evolving, which is the fun part of it. But they're answering, you know, very real questions about our day. Um, I'll, I'll tell the story of the first one I built, and, and just because it's relatable to this, and then tie into to your question a little bit um, as we go forward. But one thing we had always said, and this was the challenge of integrating something like this into a more traditional family brokerage, where at the time, even as I'm integrating this, I don't have the ultimate decision-making power. That was with my father, who had done it for years and years and years incredibly well with not a lot of information. So what real value was I adding to the equation where he has a ton of knowledge and experience? Um, and this particular example is very easy. Um, the We were looking to hire two people for two different roles, one in service and one in what we call our underwriting department, which reviews renewals and is part of that renewal retention team. Um, but we needed two people for a starting in the summer to push that role forward, or so we thought. I came out with a very easy bar chart that just showed how many policies we serviced each month. And for years, everyone knew we were seasonal. Absolutely true. But when we saw it visually that we actually serviced a thousand more policies in June than we did in February, mm -hmm. and that's a thousand to 2000, so a relatively massive increase mm -hmm. um, in our particular case, we decided to hire somebody seasonally to do both roles. Mm. As a thirty thirty thousand dollar ROI on a bar chart, just because wow. we had never seen it that way, yeah. and so that visualized that was my real aha moment to say, okay, just sometimes it's just reframing the very things that you know and getting a little bit of confidence that they're right, mm -hmm. and then repeat and measure and go. So that was my first real win with this process, and then you know where we've evolved it since and the things we do. Um, our biggest win at the moment of the thing we're really leaning into is is having our um, sales goals one transparent so they're always available to our team um, and two creating more of a leaderboard scenario where we are you know showing our best sales month ever mm -hmm. individually as well as a team so really leaning into having those available all the time and visible and upfront um, that's been a huge win for us. We actually just had our largest new business month in the history of the brokerage last month. Mm. And we started that leaderboard mm. three months ago. And the, and the, so, the biggest thing you changed was just visibility. 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 Visi wow. So that's, yeah. that's powerful. I, would, I mean, that's creating a data culture. Well, it's, it's, it went from, in, in a lot of cases, like they find out after. Yeah. Versus three days in, they know mm -hmm. where they are three days in. Mm -hmm. and, and that was, you can see the journey, not feel the pat in the back after something's happened. Mm -hmm. And that was a huge, huge piece for us. Um, another, you know, more unique one uh, from the service side that we've just implemented, and this was actually part of one of our clients brought this to our attention. They go, we love this metric. This is how we do it. And their process was, they hired a summer student to literally input data monthly so they could get this information. We built it off their activity report in about 10 minutes, the same metric, and it came up almost almost identical to what they had. So to your point of 90% is good enough, yeah. would you rather hire a summer student or hit refresh and get information that's 90% 90 what you had? Absolutely. 
probably want that. <laughs> and what this was, was a unique client serve metric. So all, and all it did does is go to the activity report. It counts how many activities are serviced. It gives the employee, the employee's name, if they're there that day, it counts it as a day work and does an average of how many unique people they talk to because if they spoke to them, they're supposed to add an activity. Mm. Mm. But an incredibly interesting metric for your service team, if you care about, you know, how many people they are addressing depending on your setup. And in our particular case, we're a little bit unique, but we don't do a kind of a service team that is everybody. We're on an alpha split and we have connected to uh, individual producers, our service team. So mm -hmm. way we've done it for years and works for us. Uh, but it was interesting to look at that as part of our, hey, how are we going to, when do we need to hire our next person? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we are now looking at the average book size. We are looking at unique clients serve. Are we getting too many phone calls coming in for our brokerage to be able to handle based on our current employee size? And we're able to, with that, be predictive and proactive in our hiring. So that unique client serve has been a wonderful internal metric, but combining that with the other answers that we have readily available because we built it all into one place, mm -hmm. we're able to really get in front of our hires, bolster our service team so we're not missing mm -hmm. and not reactive hiring to, oh, customer complaints have gone up, so we should probably get somebody else. Yeah. It, no, we're, we're ahead. We know, we know exactly how many phone calls well, we, we know approximately how many phone calls we're going to get on a day. We have this many people to service them. Mm, that's fantastic. Follow it as it goes. So did it, uh, the question that's bubbling up for me right now is, okay, we're shining a light on what was darkness. Sometimes that scares people. Yes. Sometimes seeing the numbers is not a good thing for people. How did that from a change management perspective, right? I mean, you're coming in, you're kind of upsetting the apple cart here. How did people respond and how did you navigate the different reactions to get to where you are today? Which it sounds like is an environment where people are really um, feeling like they're, they're loving the data, like it's bringing them together. There's kind of a culture around it. Yeah, and it's 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 still not all sunshines and rainbows. It's just just the reality of it, right? There there will always be that. And one of our best salespeople, and he's been with us for twenty six years now, mm. and he still absolutely crushes it. Just despises the numbers. Just despises them, even when they're good, and they're usually very good. And that's the thing. It's it, but just that's just a shift that sometimes you can't fight or get over. Mm -hmm. And I think what we've done is be incredibly strategic with our releases uh incredibly transparent in our hirings so kind of creating that culture shift over time this is what you come in at this is what you can expect from us this is what we're going to deliver to you so it's not you can't just hard stop overnight change the world mm -hmm. we've allowed our more seasoned staff to really give it to them so they can see it Mm -hmm. but not necessarily be punitive with it with them. Yep, carrot and that's stick. kind of been our strategy from the start is mm -hmm. let's introduce this. Let us show you this cool thing. Do you like it? Does it help you? Ask the questions. It does, it doesn't. Okay, get the feedback, iterate, change it, make it better, push it back out. But from a baseline of if you're newer or more receptive to it, we are going to incentivize you 
to hit the targets and, and metrics and KPIs we need. Mm -hmm. So incentivizing the action and being very forward in it with it, and this is our way forward in our hirings, is how we've done that over time. I think one relative like um, decent story during uh, during COVID was really when we had to lean in mm -hmm. to a lot of these numbers mm -hmm. uh, because we weren't seeing anybody. Right. It was, are you working? Mm. Maybe, <laughs> hope so. And uh, up this way, we, we were locked down for like almost a year and a half. Yeah. So we were out of the office entirely for that long, um, and it was uh, it was a very interesting experience, to say the least. But because we had that, and because our only choice was to be more transparent with it, we were showing up to meetings, showing how long people had worked based on our cloud monitoring service. Mm. That's that made people work a little bit harder. <laughs> I, um, bet. I bet. It, it was it was a really interesting case. And, and one yeah. thing that happened, and uh, very organically because of it, you have to be prepared with any launch of this, and especially COVID notwithstanding, there's a big piece. But we, like I said, we really leaned in at that point. We lost, within a year, about nine people. And we're 45 staff. At the time, we were 37. Wow. So, over my almost 25% of our staff. Mm -hmm. um, if you would have looked at the performance in terms of the measurement metrics of the, how these people were relative to their role, um, it would have been our bottom 25% that left on their own. Oh, interesting. So interesting. And what we were able to do with the hiring part of that trying to fill it back is thinking about, you know, I'm, I am a firm believer you're only as strong as your weakest link. Mm -hmm. And you want to kind of lift that basement up as high as you can and, you know, push the ceiling to the moon, but you always want to be as high as you can on the bottom. And what we've been fortunate to do with our situation and being very comfortable with the work from home and that concept as well is hire very seasoned people to be able to come in keep them on very metric performance-based plans because that's the expectation they have from being we're very transparent about it and that's become the expectation mm -hmm. and the average kind of raised itself mm -hmm. so that was our you know journey and again a lot of happy accidents during it but it's it, it helped really accelerate that push um and create that new space but I, I think circling back to your you know main point that there are there still is challenges with people who don't accept change and you can't win all those battles I'll, I'll go back to the you know perfection quote from earlier mm -hmm. be good enough and get enough people in and eventually the other people who don't buy in will either still be great within your culture because they can make it work or they'll find their way out yep 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 agreed agreed um so I guess what I'm hearing uh for for the audience is you know, don't be afraid to, don't be afraid that the change causes some change, right? I mean, you're, you're gonna, and, and that's a good thing. Like sometimes if you have people leave, which I know is a really difficult thing, very difficult thing, uh, it could be for the best for, for the, for the agency. So, um, okay. So let, let me just ask one other question on the analytics side of things. So we talked about book of business and kind of seeing from a high level strategic operational perspective, a couple different KPIs that you guys are looking at, especially around hiring, um, sales performance, service performance. You have some really unique metrics on that. I 
don't know many people that are tracking service performance. It's kind of measured, you know, measured in gallons where, well, here's the salary. And I guess we just give them a bump next year because everybody likes them uh, to, to your original story. What about the carrier partnership side of things? Do you guys ha- have, has, has having this type of reporting, or I should say having this Power BI tool, has it given you more confidence in approaching different carrier relationships? Do you have different types of conversations with the reps that come in? Um, what does that partnership look like? It's been night and day. And I think I'm used to the typical um, business development person shows up, drops a pile of paper on your plate, tells us exactly how we did over the past quarter, year, whatever it may be, two months after the fact. And uh, you sit down and you listen and, and you smile. And that's, you know, you go for lunch. That's, there isn't, there's a lot, there wasn't a lot of value to those conversations. Those have entirely flipped to me showing up with, hey, this is why you're not growing. I can show you the comparison relative to your five major major competitors per line of business, per segment, mm. per area, mm. renewal price, average new business price, looking at it from a perspective that really translate because these are things they're tracking anyway. Mm-hmm. And I can give them my very specific territory analysis of things they're looking at on a national level. So when they go back to their actuaries or that they can actually say, instead of, um, Zach thinks the price is high. Zach's is saying we're 37% higher than these five markets relative to his territory. And that's caused some action to the point where we, you know, when you give, you get. So if you're willing to provide insights, Mm -hmm. I've been fortunate enough to sit down with markets where after we presented that, and it wasn't just me complaining, but certainly maybe me giving a little more empirical evidence Mm -hmm. of the case where we sat down and they've been able to provide back to us hey hey you're right for this particular rating in auto we are actually you know we're only top five three percent of the time this is clearly a miss by us how you know we're going to work on it for you Mm -hmm. so it's it's entirely changes the dynamics of those conversations for the better um, something we can't track is loss ratio. So I still rely entirely on those reports back from the companies on loss ratio. Cause again, you talk about human input, that would mean I need somebody to absolutely right. take all those numbers and trust that the companies actually sent me all those finals right. on claims and everything that goes with it. Yeah. Um, that's something we don't even bother with because we know we can't get there. So okay. that's where my conversation with companies go now. I ask about loss ratio and then we talk about how my entire book's performing and how they can fit into my picture going forward mm. or if they want to. And that's that's caused us to drop markets, add markets, um, and adding market scenarios a lot easier when you can walk in and go, this is where I am. If you take 5% market share, this is where you'll be. Plus I'm growing by this much every single month. So mm-hmm. you do the math. If mm-hmm. you want a commitment of half a million or a million or 5 million, whatever it is, this is, ex- you know, this is exactly how long it'll take to get there based on us continuing this trend. And here's all the reasons why we will. That feels like it throws donuts on the floor. <laughs> the do- it, there's there's the some donut faces. and coffee uh, carrier rep conversations. There's there's some faces of, of yes, especially at the beginning. It's it's it, they're used to it by now. It's been a few years for us, yeah. but it, at the beginning, it's a lot of uh, oh, this is this is not what my meeting this morning was like. Yeah. And um, 
And that's only, you know, benefited us, benefited the relationships, put us at tables that maybe from a volume perspective, we probably don't belong on. Mm-hmm. Um, but we add some value to their day mm-hmm. in a market that they care about. And that's going to be a conversation that hopefully continues to solidify those relationships going forward. Certainly doesn't hurt. Okay. So for those listening, if they want to get started, right, if they're, mm-hmm. if they're listening to you and they're thinking, wow, that's, that's where I need to be. Um, you know, and, and again, they have an agency management system, not as cool as a broker management system. Um, you know, they haven't yet invested in some sort of data analytics tool like a Power BI, which I know is one of many. Where do they start? Is it buying the BI tool first? Is it buying a CRM first so that they can get that full picture from you know pre-sale to post-sale? Is it learning the data? Where do you recommend that they take the first step? The learning the data piece is, yeah. is so important. And and that was just an understanding of exactly what you what you want, what you can get today that you already have for free. Really, it's, it's all there. Um, and then the once the understanding's there, how do I visualize this in a way that answers questions I care about? Because the fastest way to get buy in is to give the answer, especially if we're coming at from the perspective of, you know, if it's the agency owner, great, but if it's, you know, CFO, controller, whatever level it is that would, you know, get this project, how do I get the buy-in to get the funding to continue doing this? And the nice part about this in terms of funding, Power BI license is $9.99 a month, $9. What? Like, yeah, it's not, the expense here is not- Oh my uh, gosh, I thought it was way more than that. Okay, go ahead, sorry. But, Per user, we're gonna get a little okay, crazy. Per, per, okay, but, wow. Yeah, All right, there's user. there it is. I knew I knew there was a catch somewhere. <laughs> a while. We have four licenses. Ah, see, not everybody sorry. needs it. Not everybody needs it. Yeah. Right. So it's all relative, and sorry, I think it's up to nineteen ninety nine for the pro a month. But again, regardless, it's it's not a it's not this game changing expense to get into. I think and Power BI is one, Tableau is another if you're on the Google platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, one we've explored as well. But getting into that visualization piece, I I chose Power BI because it is Microsoft and it's Excel on steroids. So if you understand Excel, you've built pivot tables before. I went online on YouTube and just started asking questions. Mm-hmm. That's how I got my start. After I understood the data, my next step was how do I put this in a place where I don't have to do all this work every single time? And the visualization tools that are out there can can deliver that in a very real way. So just to give you give people an idea of my process today, when I say I get my data a couple times a week, I would run the production report from my AMS. I will save it to a file and not touch it. I will open up Power BI and hit refresh, and it will take all the new information, build all the visualizations again with that updated info, and I will have now that live 20 different visualizations, employee scorecards, and service analytics for that whole team. Mm-hmm. Now, as I currently do it, I have to pull the production report and the activity report, and I have to pull the phone system report. And that, is that ideal? Like I said, of course not, but it's a wonderful intermediate step from forcing all my data into one data lake, which then, you know, you can synthesize and then push back out to a visualization tool. You can get there. It's incredibly expensive. Mm -hmm. And if you're starting the journey to go kind of to the all in scenario, 
you end up probably getting, okay, now I have all this great data synthesized and narrative. What do I do with it? Mm-hmm. And I, I'm a firm believer in at least understanding enough about what you're doing. My, my All my managers in our office do the role they manage. Mm-hmm. Very important to me. And I believe in the same philosophy of what we're doing. So am I a Power BI expert? No. I've worked with one now. She's awesome. Uh, but I know enough about it to get by. So I can answer those quick questions and communicate the problems and know going into it, is this a problem I can probably solve or not? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And that's really that baseline level knowledge is available for free on YouTube, a couple hours of your time to be able to get to a space where once you understand what the data does, put it in a place to do the answers, then bring somebody in to really make it great. That makes once sense. you know what questions you need to ask. Yeah, yeah. There's going to be a little bit of, I, and, I, and I understand this, right? When you start something new, it's tough, right? It's, there's a, it's muddy, it's unclear. You don't have all the answers. You're kind of hacking your way through the Amazon jungle. Um, but it sounds like there's a reward in that too, right? And it doesn't mean you'll be the expert, but it means that when you talk to the expert, you can give them that guidance to get where you need to go faster. So. I, we have a wonderful example of uh, what turned into a client who started with a very good consulting firm, gave them a problem of visualize my data, exactly mm-hmm. what we're doing in, mm-hmm. in a way that these are the questions we want to answer. And they were very good specific questions. This firm had never worked in the insurance industry before. Mm-hmm. So in, I believe they said they were eight months into development and all they had out of it was one not quite working visual that showed their total book size. And if you clicked on it, it broke. Oh no. And, and that was eight months in and I showed them what we did. I was like, hey, like they were on Vertifor as well, which has made it easy. So we understood the data. I was like, this is something I can give you everything we have, which yeah. is 25 plus different dashboards that answer various, you know, questions and KPIs. We can do that in, you know, a couple weeks. Mm-hmm. And it's just like, well, that doesn't make sense. Is because they didn't understand the mm-hmm. specific verbiage of insurance. Mm-hmm. When you get the nuances of how people invoice and how they, they don't understand the struggles of how, what this data that gets spit out actually means. Mm-hmm. And, and that's where, that's our biggest tool and strength is understanding that. And yeah. the biggest weapon we have is, is the ability we've gone through the struggles of learning it and really understanding it and trusting it. And we have a ways to go. I'm yeah. by no means to the point of earlier about perfection. We're not, we're not 100%. Yeah. But I feel very strongly about where we're at and, and that we're ahead of the game, certainly, you know, versus what else is, is out there at the moment and, and very confident that what we've been able to do and measure and track has led to an increase in performance of our team. Mm, mm, mm. All right. So spend the time learning the language of data, guys and, and girls, uh, everybody. That's uh I would say it's the language to learn in 2023 and beyond. So Zach, just before I let you go, I also know that uh, you've recently started a consulting arm as well um, to help bring this knowledge to other agencies. How, how do people get in touch with you to, if they're interested in that, if they're, they're interested in working with you? Yeah, hundred percent. Um, website's up now, which is www.svdatainnovations.com. Um, that gives us just a little bit of overview and, 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 you know, a way to reach out to us via our LinkedIn or our uh, email. 
Um, and I don't know if you'll be sending this out after, but I can provide my contact information for that as well. Awesome. I'm always happy to have conversations and, and just kind of go about it that way. It's the best place to start. Um, my you know, main focus will always be Sutherland Insurance. This is something I just love to do. Happy to have conversations. If there's a way to help people out, we're very open to it. Wonderful. Well, thank you for everything that you're doing, not just from the consulting side of things, but blazing the trail for Sutherland Insurance. I think your story gives a lot of validation to what data can do in a world where there's a lot of confusion still. So thank you for blazing the trail for others. Um, Guys and gals and dudes, everyone, part of the Vertifor Insurance Podcast, thank you for listening. Listen, if you liked this episode, go to YouTube, hit subscribe, Uh, hit subscribe. Make sure that you follow us on your favorite podcast platform. We release these episodes weekly and uh, we always have content with agents who are blazing new trails in different areas of the industry and insure tech. So with that, we'll hope to see you on the next one.